feature presentation. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who you gonna call? <laughs> Dirt Farmers! <laughs> Um, Bustin does indeed make me feel good, Eric. Today you we say that are... all the time, and I'm like, Matt, I don't need to know about your private life. <laughs> um, today we are reviewing Jason Reitman's Ghostbusters Afterlife, starring Carrie Coon, Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, Paul Rudd, and some other people. Um, I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck. I've already said that. Uh, this is going to be interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's going to be spicy, uh, but it's going to be civil. Um, Eric and I are best friends. We don't like yelling at each other. We're not going to – well, it might get heated. Um, but In terms have, of our, our our perspective of the film, not because yeah. we – But we I'm, I think this is going to be fun, though. respect each other's opinions or that we don't – I don't respect you, you piece or, of garbage. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Uh, or that we don't respect the opinions of others. Yeah, I, I think that um, is important to keep in mind when sort of having a – uh, critical but constructive conversation on a film that we have very different opinions on, which is weirdly exciting because normally- it doesn't happen very often. Like we're pretty in tune. Like obviously we have our you know preferences and things that again I say off the top, spoiler free. This yeah. whole review, uh, we will reference things that are like in the trailer and and things like that. Um, maybe not the newest trailer that came out, uh, and I suggest and beware. And don't watch the newest trailer if you haven't, but we will reference stuff that was in that first trailer and things like that. Um, so if you don't want to know anything about the movie um, and you are trying to go in blind, you probably um, – uh, or you want to go in, sorry, um, not knowing anything about the movie. Um, I would say you probably shouldn't even listen to this and you probably aren't because um, you are trying to go in. Come back anything. after you've watched the film. So that being said, spoiler free as much as possible. And Eric and I will be doing a spoiler conversation on the conversations channel that will drop after the movie has come out. So everyone had a chance, whether it's the Friday of the release, because the Thursday night people can go see it. Well, Thursday, Thursday back. evening, because I think Wednesday, it starts actually play- IMAX showing start Wednesday. Actually, yeah. And even. then Thursday so, it's, it's screening at like 5 PM. And so maybe places. Friday morning, we'll probably drop the, the spoiler conversation because I feel like in this review, we'll give our top level thoughts of what we felt. We've kind of already alluded to that. Um, and give you reasoning obviously, but, a lot of this stuff I feel like we'll need to have a bigger conversation with, you know, um, with the handcuffs off where we can talk about everything that happens in the movie because – And get specific um, with our – Characters criticisms. and points and, and, and yeah. things like that and, and, and not just criticisms, things that we liked about the movie. Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, um, I'm saying criticism in general in terms of sure. like even positive or negative. Oh, like that's true. I forget. Of- criticism also sometimes has a negative connotation where yeah. criticism can be positive too. That's a good point, Eric. Yes. Anyways, that being said, a spoiler-free review – um of ghostbusters afterlife um a movie that um premiered at cinemacon in august eric saw it a couple weeks ago i saw it a couple days ago um eric i want to kick it off because like i think to preface this like talking about you know the first two ghostbusters movies and and you know our thoughts on that because i love when we do reviews like this because 
um, we kind of do like a franchise kind of overview before we kind of get into it. And, and like with home alone, right? (laughs) You know what everyone (laughs) is waiting for home alone. Um, but no, we've done that a lot with a lot of legacy sequels or just, you know, another movie in a franchise or something like that. So, um, for me, like, which is, I think going to be interesting when we get into our thoughts, like I really, uh, enjoyed the first Ghostbusters movie as a kid, uh, but I don't have a reverence for it that like hold held it in such high regard or it wasn't one of my like favorite movies as a kid. I do remember like iconic moments that always like scared me as a kid with, you know, the library, the first, Oh, the librarian, the librarian, uh, and the library. Um, <laughs> that really scared me as a kid. The eggs frying on the countertop always freaked me out as a kid. And I just remember, well, yeah, that whole being- sequence where like when she opens the fridge or even when Dana, um, is at home and the chair, right. Um, with, with Zool, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I just remember, you know, always really enjoying that movie as a kid. Um, but I wasn't like obsessed with it uh, like some other people were. I, I barely remembered Ghostbusters 2, but I revisited them right before uh, this movie. And and I know that some people uh, hold that first film in, in very high regard. And, and I feel like, you know, that first movie is very, very special. I think like it's not quite a comedy um, but has a lot of comedic elements. It has it's a, a horror dry, comedy, right? Yeah, it has a very dry kind of um, uh, cynical sense of humor, which I, I really like, especially watching it as an adult. Um, and it just, yeah, you know, captured lightning in a bottle, I think, in that first movie where, you know, everything from the, obviously, Ray Parker Jr.'s iconic, you know, theme and, and just, you know, the suits and the branding of it all. And it kind of spawned into being, you know, more of a kid's franchise, even though that first movie I don't think is a kid's movie at all. Ghostbusters 2, more of a kid's movie. Um, and then this one, I think, is really interesting when we get into it. One reason why I personally liked it is that, you know, the meta nature uh, of taking how this, you know, this first film was adapted or uh, adopted by by kids of, of being this kind of kids franchise and it spawned a cartoon and other things like that. Well, 21 think- jumps, 22 Jump Street, I think, does the, the uh, a perfect example of like, you know, at the end of that movie, or was it 21 Jump Street where you had those characters having their spinoffs and then like one of them is a TV show, a cartoon TV show for kids. Yeah, and then the, it's the octopus second movie they have. Yeah. Is the, the second movie. Yeah. So um, anyways, that's my history with Ghostbusters. But you we also should. Them you, and like, you, yeah. You should mention that you recently uh, caught up with the first two movies and mm-hmm. also listened to the kind of funny uh, in podcast in review. I will, gi- I will give a shout out to Greg Miller, who is probably the biggest Ghostbusters fan that I know on the internet, like his, like for me with Jurassic Park or Star, a lot of people with Star Wars or, um, you know, major, major franchises, that's Ghostbusters to him. Like as a kid and even as an adult now, he is obsessed with Ghostbusters. So I'm very excited to get his thoughts on the, on the movie, but I did, you know, catch up with the kind of funny in review of Ghostbusters one and two. Uh, and their podcasts on them uh, leading up into this movie. I didn't rewatch the 2016 one because I just ran out of time. Uh, but I do want to go back and revisit it, especially after watching um, this now. And I, I like the Paul Feig movie, but like it's completely different um, than what we get here. It's um, with the Paul Feig one. I mean, since we're talking about it now, um, quickly, uh, that movie also has 
a certain connotation with it now because of when that movie was being made there was this uh very uh male dominant fandom reaction yeah yeah and in terms of having you know female ghostbusters um and even though that movie's not great um that's the least of its problems and it is i think the, the the biggest problem with paul feig's movie and and one of the problems i have with this film is that there are times where it's it's very very choppy and you can kind of see that like there were multiple takes where it was like okay let's use these versions or, the or take the best stuff and then yeah. yeah and and the best version of the paul feig ghostbusters movie is the director's cut because if you watch the theatrical version there are whole scenes that are completely removed, removed yeah. like there's this dance sequence With that's Chris cut Hemsworth, out right? yeah, yeah and and when you watch the theatrical release you see the characters basically disbanding after the dance sequence but you're like what just happened there like there was something that happened and then you watch the director's cut i mean it's very much a judd apatow thing as well where it's almost like he makes this movie that's way too long and then he has to cut out scenes but the scenes that he cuts out sometimes actually benefit the film overall and And the the plot and things like that yeah yeah. and the director's cut of paul feig's version isn't great either but it is a fuller experience and it does which i do want to go watch because i've never seen the director's cut again Um, not a great movie um and, Very and going, different. It's just it's more of a pure comedy where yeah. you know there's a lot of improv in that first Ghostbusters movie, but it's Bill Murray being Bill Murray, and you know it's just like that that humor. It's characterization, works, right? Yeah. Like it's 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 more so from the point of view like Peter Venkman on paper, like Peter Venkman was originally going to be played by John Belushi, and like you 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 look at the performance that Bill Murray gives, the performance is what makes the character work. It's not necessarily that the character is well-written, even though I, I do love what both Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd did. And, and I think even though, yeah, it, it is at times very uh, deadpan and dry and kind of, you know, you're looking at the three main leads and they're all basically man children or, or men children or what have you and yeah dan Aykroyd is the heart of the film in in those in those first two movies where like you know harold ramis and and bill murray are kind of you know the deadpan scientist who is so into what he's doing that he just doesn't know notice the rest of the world peter venkman's the guy who is basically you know the uh womanizer kind of game show (laughs) host kind of guy who kind of just basically is like why are you even a scientist and then Aykroyd you know Ray Stance is is basically you know the guy who's so passionate about what he's doing and has this affinity for you know the spiritual wants a paycheck yeah, and Winston Zedmore, played by Ernie Hudson, is is the guy who's who, who's the everyman in, in in the group of the four. But for for so those that being, yeah, for those sorry, three specifically, like they kind of balance each other out perfectly. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily how well they're written. It's because of the three actors that make that sort of trio so good work. in those roles, and they make those characters work. Yeah. So that being said, I know you were a you loved the original yes. Ghostbusters movie. So as a kid, um that first ghostbusters movie and even the second one like the second one is just basically a rehash Retread. of the first yeah. one but more comedic for children um but it's funny when you watch it as a kid like you do so many movies that maybe are are age inappropriate like you look at eight, the first days ventura and like you see the one scene where you know he gets the dog back for one of his clients and you know his 
paycheck. There's a scene in in, in Ghostbusters where Aykroyd's character has this dream and you're gets kinda, a blowjob by yeah. a ghost. <laughs> and you're thinking, and like as a kid, you don't get it. No, like it goes don't. over yeah. your head. You're thinking like this is just a weird scene. And it's apparently, such a weird scene. In the in the original like extended cut or the assembly cut of the film, it's much longer uh, and weirder. And it's more you know it's a dream sequence where in this yes. it's just cut in the middle of real things that are happening. Exactly. In the montage that's using, you know, Ray Parker Jr.'s iconic theme um, and having people like Casey Kasem and, and uh, Larry King doing, you know, these fun little cameos and talking about like the Ghostbusters escapades around New York as, you know, the spirit world becomes more prominent in, in day-to-day life. And these guys are basically, you know, uh, exterminators. Um, but yeah, what I loved about it as a kid was the minutia and the ghost traps and things like that. And then in the second one, the same thing. And like, it's fascinating to see like kind of what carried over into the series, like a character like Slimer, who, you know, is the first ghost that they really kind of capture and, and, and go through the process and things like that. But then he became prominent within the cartoon series and then the cartoon series having more of a life in terms of developing, you know, the characters as quote unquote individuals within the series and having, you know, uh, really good writers like uh, uh, Jay uh, Michael Straczynski, who went on to write and create uh, 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 the Babylon 5 series and things like that. Like there's one really great episode where it is a quote unquote meta episode where the Ghostbusters go to California to be consultants on their own film. And then at the end of the movie, they play uh, the opening scene with uh, Bill Murray, you know, conducting his experiments and uh, Peter Venkman saying like, oh, he doesn't even look like me, um, which is funny because none of the cartoon characters look like their actual yeah. versions with the exception of maybe Egon a little bit other than like the hair. But like even that's interesting because Grace uh, McKenna Grace's character in this does kind of look like a young Harold Ramis, which is obviously intentional, but she does almost have the cartoonish kind of look the way that um, Kate McKinnon did in yeah. uh, the Paul Feig version, which the Paul Feig version was specifically referencing uh, the real Ghostbusters and then Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, which is probably the worst part of that uh, franchise. But then like as as a kid, when you're watching that series, you don't realize that uh, Lorenzo Music voices uh, Peter Venkman in that. And he also voiced uh, Garfield in the 80s version of uh, the Garfield series. And then Bill Murray would voice uh, Garfield in the live action versions. Um, and then Arsenio, Arsenio Hall voices uh, Winston Zeddemore in the first five seasons of uh, the real Ghostbusters before being replaced. So like fun things like that um, are, are, are there. And then, yeah, like as a kid, I just found that franchise to be fun. I love, love Bill Murray so much. And, you know, like you look at him now, he's a very problematic character, but at the same time, there's enough charm there. And also I think that the script is smart enough to know that he still is a loser. Like it never, it never portrays him as necessarily heroic unless it needs to kind of absolutely you know trump evil like in terms of his personal life he's completely you know just oblivious to how idiotic i think all of the ghostbusters i think feel very human right even though they are heroes well they're caricatures right like they're 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 you know it's it's the classic 80s thing of the slobs versus the snobs and they're all the quote-unquote the slobs the guys that are there to help you like the like the tagline on on 
you know, some of the posters and on the, the original DVD releases were like, you know, we're ready to believe you. And then in part two, it's, you know, are you ready to believe us? And, um, you know, like that stuff is a lot of fun and, and, and what have you, but yeah, there was just a special place that I always had with the series as a kid. But as you grow up, you also realize that like Ghostbusters with the exception of the cartoon series is, is like a franchise like Terminator. It just, it was of its time. It doesn't really necessarily lend itself to a franchise, you know, like you look at the first Terminator movie, it's basically, you know, uh, uh, sort of a elevated version of a slasher movie, you know, and that, that was a sci-fi slasher. Yeah. yeah. The first Ghostbusters movie was never intended to be anything more than, you know, a launching pad for, you know, Bill Murray and something that was going to be a fun horror comedy and then turning it into a franchise. I think, you know, the second film is just a rehash of the first movie, even though I still love the film quite a bit. And the guy, and the guy who doesn't get enough credit for this, and we were talking about it in L.A., is Rick Moranis. I think Rick Moranis oh MVP of almost is, both movies. Is, Definitely a, the is amazing. Movie. Well, even um, in the first, I think he's 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 such oh, an, he's so a likable, yeah. dorky, you know, weirdo <laughs> that lives yeah, next door to great. Dana uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character. Um, but yeah, there. I think it's also a great like the first Ghostbusters is also a great movie for kids that are maybe interested in watching horror films, but maybe aren't ready yet for the hard R stuff. You know, like the, it's one of those transitional films where there's enough scares in there that'll get them kind of understanding of like, okay, like there are quote unquote stakes in these movies, yeah. and it's not just simply you know, a, a, a satire or a parody. No, of it still took films. itself seriously. Like it still was very much, I think like a horror movie. Yes. Um, rather than just being a pure comedy, which maybe the Kevin, uh, not Kevin Feige, uh, Paul Feig uh, movie was just more of a straight up comedy. Yeah. And, and, you know, Ivan Reitman kind of being the director of this, you know, got a lot of leeway afterwards you know in, in terms of his career this was also a, a big thing for him but just watching ghostbusters afterlife and Let's also get into it yeah but also even paul feig's film i just feel like these movies were best left to the 80s i think that th this this is not really franchise worthy in the same way that the terminator movies have continually stopped and started and stopped and started and to keep the point trying where, even where it's like just give it so up yeah times, like yeah. even even like the terminator terminator never had a cartoon series but like they had action figures for kids and you know they they even tried a series in in the you know the mid 2000s and like it just kind of is like you know learn when to let things rest Right. I don't think this is tried as many times as Terminator. So maybe now two times in, you know, five years or whatever. Well, saying, the two but... times, well, the, the, the two times in five years, but also the first two movies and the second film was not met with a lot of, which is why it acclaim. went away for so long. Right. Well, but I mean, it still it had, had the, the series, but, yeah. but then you look at that as well. So the cartoon series had two iterations. So it had the real Ghostbusters and then Slimer became so popular that it was called, they renamed it to uh, Slimer and the real Ghostbusters. And then that kind of ended And then in the nineties, you had the reboot of Ghostbusters with the extreme Ghostbusters, because part of why that came back was because men in black was so popular at that time. And men right. in black was compared to Ghostbusters and men in black is another great comparison in terms of a series that's continued because men in black also had an animated series as well. Um, 
you know, having those that char- those characters and that series, which is not really a great series either, um, extended because you had Will Smith, who is, you know, a superstar still is, but on a, on a level that was like, you know, that was kind of one of his franchises at the time. So that's why mm-hmm. they kept it going for as long as they did. And they also tried to mm-hmm. reboot Ghostbusters recently and look how that did also with Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Ghostbusters afterlife. Um, how much do we want to say about the, we can g- give a little plot synopsis and we'll, we'll, we'll go into it. Yeah. So you have Carrie Coon, McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard playing a family of three, um, who have, are living in New York and they have been recently given notice that they have to leave. Uh, Carrie Coon's matriarch is basically, you know, struggling to make ends meet and she is doing the best she can. And she has two really good kids. Uh, McKenna Grace is basically a, a, a a young genius, um, a baby genius, if you will. Uh, (laughs) um, And, and Finn Wolfhard is your classic teen, you know, good kid getting into a little trouble here and there, but nothing serious. Um, And they recently learned that the grandfather slash father has passed away and has left them uh, his dirt farm in Somerville, Oklahoma, which is basically, you know, a small town in the middle of nowhere that nothing ever really happens or does it uh as they move in they start to realize that creepy unexplained phenomenon is happening uh things that actually happened uh back in 1984 that seem to be resurfacing again and slowly but surely they find out that maybe they're on the precipice of something uh truly horrifying and something that is uh basically a doomsday scenario yeah. Do you want to kick it off or do you want me to? <laughs> I think you should kick it off because I think that starting with a positive uh, will yeah. help in terms of the people watching this who are probably also uh, very positive. Again, positive just, or excited. They're excited, excited for the movie. I love Ghostbusters. Um, I just want to say that lo- now. So where and I'm coming, I'm coming from. from a point where I really enjoyed uh, Ghostbusters as a kid, but I don't have, like I said, that reverence that carried throughout my life of Ghostbusters being – you know, that an Carrie iconic Coon movie. throughout your life. I mean, I love Carrie Coon. Oh, she's um, amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I don't have that, you know, even that I, I have a little bit of nostalgia for it, but it's not like Star Wars or Jurassic Park or, or you know, movies of my my youth that I'm like, again, Jurassic Park's another great example where that has had worked, difficulties. Yeah. Kind and of there's a lot of similarities to this with Jurassic World, I think. Um and, you know, me seeing Jurassic World the first time, I, I really enjoyed it. The more I've watched Jurassic World, I've softened quite a bit on it. We'll see if that happens here. But I will kick it off. Saying, well, you're like, not the I, biggest fan of Italian-American actor Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah. <laughs> we already brought up Garfield once. We don't need to do it again. Um, I loved the movie. I I, I really, really did. And um, I, I think why I loved it is because um, – It feels, you know, it's retreading a lot of stuff from that original movie and it's doing the classic legacy sequel nostalgia kind of bait kind of thing. Um, But it's what I talked about of the first Ghostbusters movie taking itself seriously, being a horror sci-fi movie first with comedic elements um, and then just still being a really, you know, solid character driven, you know, uh, you know, fun movie. And I feel like this movie then takes that... um, you know, everything we've gotten in all of these kind of legacy sequel things, but does it in a really kind of interesting way in a meta nature where I really liked that that first movie was kind of co-opted by children. Wasn't necessarily a 
kids movie uh, starring a lot of SNL alum. It has a lot of dry humor that I don't know if kids would have necessarily even gotten at the time. It's the power um, of syndication too, because it played a lot on cable after yeah. the theatrical release. And that's where a lot of kids found it. And that's ultimately why Ghostbusters 2 was a little bit more kiddie than the first one. Th- th- that being said, taking this and focusing around children I think was really, really smart. And it has that sense of discovery throughout the whole movie. And I think I will argue that, you know, the nepotism with with Jason Reitman, I think weirdly works here because Ivan being his dad directing it and the way that the characters in the movie are discovering their family history and discovering, um, you know, how to, you know, uh, follow in the footsteps of their, you know, uh, of their grandfather. Um, I think there's this meta quality of then that first movie being co-opted by kids, having this focused on kids and being the perfect launch pad for, you know, a franchise that I do think has withstood the the test of time. And I know you kind of disagree and feel like it should have been left in the eighties, but for me, I, I still think that it's an iconic movie that, you know, everyone knows about. It kind of went away for a long time, um, was loved by kids and adults, um, but then just kind of disappeared. And and I feel like the movie is playing on all of that. And I really kind of love McKenna Grace uh, in this movie and um, mimicking what I was talking about of being this forgotten franchise, this thing that's covered with dust that, you know, you might've watched because your, your parents liked it or, or they liked it as a kid or something like that. But maybe you watched it. Maybe you haven't, if you're a kid, because I, I will say that I think this is a family adventure movie. Um, I don't necessarily like it is for, I think a younger audience, um, but still has a lot that will for people our age that like Ghostbusters as a kid or are our parents who like Ghostbusters as an adult. Um, and I just like that sense of discovery and adventure in the movie of going, okay, let's have the movie focused on kids. And then there's a meta quality of that of going, the movie is made because we're trying to introduce this franchise to a, a younger audience that might not know nothing about Ghostbusters. They might've known a little bit about it. Um, but like, let's mimic that in the movie. And I think that, playing out really works throughout the entire film of having this young girl who's going, I don't know much about my grandfather. I don't know much about what happened 40 years ago in New York. All the adults know, but all the kids go, Oh, that's something I heard about. And I really love that nugget of what if we were really good at our job to the point where we were so good at it, it ruined us because we did it. And there's and it kind of did happened. that in the second film, though, as well. Right? I agree in a sh- much shorter period of time. But I like that, you know, 30, 40 years have passed. Um, and, you know, ghosts just disappeared. And then that ruined the Ghostbusters. And I just love that sense of discovery of going mimicking of kids discovering this franchise. And I thought the movie does such a good job of the sense of adventure. And yeah, it's retreading a lot of things in the first movie. Yeah. Are there an obscene amount of like Easter eggs and nods to the first movie that could be obnoxious to certain people or could be very exciting to others? I think so. Um, But I do think ultimately it's just a wonderful love letter to that first movie to Harold Ramis specifically 
Um, and I love his presence throughout the whole thing. And um, I like the idea of what's old is new again and things, history repeating itself and a new generation coming in and having to discover the history of the Ghostbusters and figure out how they can follow in the footsteps of them. And I think focusing around kids really, really worked. Um, I personally uh, loved the look of the movie. Um, It has that kind of, you know, thing that's maybe been overdone with that stranger things kind of vibe, even having Finn Wolfhard in the movie, obviously. And, um, you know, preying on nostalgia and, and just that kind of look of, I mean, Eric, we talk about this a lot too, of like, I love, you know, the small town USA kind of thing and an event happening in a small town. So all that, especially stuff, when it's horror based, right? Like, especially yeah, when it's genre tremors, based, like, like we, we the watched blob, recently, the, the blob, remake. Like, and I feel like you know, that stuff really works in this movie of these people coming from New York and going into this small town feeling, you know, not fish out of water per se, but like. But there's a little uh, bit of that, right? A like little basically bit. acclimatizing to their new surroundings. And I feel like that stuff helps break that, you know, it is very much the same plot as the first movie, just new people experiencing it. And I think having a different setting that's completely different than New York in the 80s, but still having, you know, um, that kind of intimate feel. Um, I think I really loved it being this, you know, this very, very small town up in the, in the mountains or whatever. And, uh, or no, not in the mountains. It's in upstate New York or something. Right. Is that where it is? I, I forget. No, no, no. It's, it's Somerville, in- Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Okay. My yeah. Bad. But it's um, actually Alberta where they shot it. Okay, cool. But yeah. anyways, I, I'm, I'm going on a bit, but like, I like, no, go keep going. It's man. just, um, I really did love that small town vibe. And that's just something I really, really dig in, in, in movies like this. And I think that was so smart to kind of differentiate it from the first movie, especially when you have a lot of plot elements that are similar. So I think focusing it around kids, uh, changing the setting, um, but then also just feeling like there's this love towards that first movie that I do think wasn't necessarily forgotten, but was left in the eighties that kind of makes sense with Jason directing this. And, you know, well, I Jason's love, in part two as uh, well. He's yeah. one of the kids at the birthday party. And to me, like I, I don't love nepotism in Hollywood and, 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 you know, you could say like, oh, okay, of course, Jason Reitman's directing this, but um, I do like him showing another side of him of making, you know, a movie like his dad would have made kind of thing. Cause everything he's done before this, you know, has some dark humor to it or as a drama or, or, or something like that. And, you know, he's had some fumbles, which is probably why this is a safe choice for him uh, to do right now, but also following in the footsteps of your dad and living up to that, this iconic kind of movie, I think, you know, wasn't necessarily an easy, you know, thing to take on. And I think he does it really, really well. Um, I liked the, and you'll probably, everything I'm saying, you'll, you'll give the opposite side of it. No, not necessarily. I totally ready for that. And uh, there are some things that we will agree on, but, um, um, loved the score. Like I think the use of not necessarily the classic Ray Parker Jr. theme, but like the pieces of score, the Elmore Bernstein score, score. And, I know we disagree here, but like, I love that it starts off in this kind of slow, you know, as you know, McKenna Grace's Phoebe is discovering, you know, what's on this farm and things like that. Like you get little slowed down pieces of the score. And as the movie goes on, it builds up and uses that score over and over and over again and kind of beats you over the head with it. But like, it does change the arrangement of it as, you know, 
the more ghost busting happens throughout the movie. Well, specifically um, that kind of one piece where it's with kind of the piano kind yeah. of like even Venkman in the first film, when he goes it, to Dana's, yeah. you know, the, and he, da, 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 but they like, hate this. Yeah. And that one piece of score, but you can even if you, if, cause I just recently watched them, which is why I really cued in. Um, I'm like, Oh, they're using like a super slowed down version of it. And I just like that sense of mystery and discovery. And, and as an audience, we kind of know what they're discovering, but the sense of wonder as these kids. And I really do think that, um, you know, you can question going like, how would people forget about a giant marshmallow man? Um, you know, t- terrorizing New York in in the eighties and all the big events that the Ghostbusters did, and they were like phenomenons in the eighties. And I think the movie, but does look at really real, good... real world events yeah, in our own place like, where like we don't remember kids wars forty and... years ago. Yeah, yeah. like it's things that happened 35, 40 years ago. Like kids aren't gonna like they don't give a shit, and they're not gonna go look that stuff up, especially if it hasn't happened in 30 years where a ghost hasn't shown up and then or it's not recorded in some way right like nowadays i wonder like what the next 40 years will be like for kids growing up because it's easier to find documented right exactly but something that happened in the 80s yes there's they even show youtube clips and different things like that that people have uploaded but i even like the little subtle things of how many views those youtube clips have of like not that many and i I really, uh, you know, it is retreading a lot of the same ground, but I think putting it in that new perspective of the kids in a different um, setting, I think really, really works as that kind of meta thing of going, just like in the movie, we are introducing this to people who might not know who the Ghostbusters are. And it is very much a kid's adventure movie. And um, I think the action is cool and exciting. Um, I like the, you know, I love Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon in the movie. Um it's obviously a very different sense of humor than that first one we talked about. It's not as dry. It is more conventional and, and, and things like that. It's more but, situational, right? Like yeah. humor changes over the decades and, and the time when, you know, the first Ghostbusters was coming out, like, as I mentioned, like it was that classic kind of like, you know, uh, blue collar versus, you know, the upper crust kind of thing. And, and again, like to your point, another thing we didn't mention with the first Ghostbusters movie, an interesting time capsule aspect is that the movie was shot at around the time when New York was starting to clean itself up mm-hmm. and at, you know, in the late seventies, early, uh, early eighties, like you had movies like taxi driver, which were depicting New York as this kind of barren wasteland, you know, crime ridden place. And, and it was, there was a point where New York was really kind of like a place where people did not want to go to because it was so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And ghostbusters is one of those films right at the time where things were starting to turn around and like Mm -hmm. it's an interesting time capsule even just looking at it from from that point of view um so yeah i mean i love the new additions to the cast i really really do love mckenna grace in the movie um carrie coon i love in everything um paul rudd is you know we talked about how you know ryan reynolds and and the rock play the same character in every movie and i think paul rudd almost falls in that category as well but i think he does have more range and he's just so incredibly likable that i would just watch paul rudd in anything um, maybe he's underused or how him and Carrie Coon are used aren't, aren't, aren't the greatest. And then, um, I liked Muncher. I liked, um, you know, he's just, again, it's just, the movie does a lot of remixes of, of uh, things in the first movie, but I, I feel like in the context of this and, you know, history repeating itself, it, it kind of worked for me. And, um, I, I liked Muncher. I don't love, I hated the mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Men. Um, 
but I do like, I don't know if we want to go into what the, who the villain is and stuff like that. I've kind of alluded to it. We'll talk more. I think we should leave that for the conversations. Um, Yeah. But I liked uh, like the look uh, of all that. And um, I just felt it thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. And even coming from someone who doesn't, you know, have a ton of nostalgia for Ghostbusters, but I just thought this was a perfect reintroduction to a sort of forgotten franchise. Um, do I necessarily need more of them? No, but I would be okay with just this as a one-off legacy sequel kind of thing. And I really, to finish off, do like how they handle uh, Harold Ramis's passing in this. I really do feel like um, his presence throughout the whole movie um, is felt. And I actually, you know, I can see that being an issue with some people and we'll go more into that in this this spoiler territory. And that might be one of your problems, Eric, but like I personally kind of liked his presence throughout the whole movie and, and how it's handled. Um, And I really thought that was lovely. Um, So anyways, I, I really, really do like the movie a lot, um, but totally understand uh, that some people have some issues with it. So Eric, you can go ahead now. (laughs) Yeah. So what I'll what I'll say first is that there are two things I do uh, agree with you um, in terms of just looking at it from the point of view of a production. I think it was really smart of them to, you know, bring in a new generation that is from the point of a kid's perspective. I think when you have a fill a previous movie that was met with a certain reaction to toxic fandom, as you know, Paul Feig's movie was, you know, and and sort of. Um, being not only critical, but vulgar of, you know, female Ghostbusters, you know, if you're going to reboot this thing, you know, it's, it's hard to criticize children, you know, and putting kids in the role, both male and female. And I think that's very smart of Jason Reitman and company for doing that, because if you had brought in just, you know, more guys to do it, you make it basically a boys club. And it's like, okay, well, the reason why this movie is going to work is because it's now back to being a, you know, a male, you know, centric film. Um, So you kind of split the difference and you make it about kids. And to your point, I think that's also very smart what you brought up where, you know, over the 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 decades of of this movie finding its audience children specifically have grown up with it and some of which have grown into adults um me being one of them and you're looking at it from the point of view of both you know a fan but also you know in the profession that we are in you have to be critical both in a positive and negative way and looking at how the story beats unfold and how characters are portrayed and whether or not um, growth and development works in the same way that other franchises have been able to, um, you know, allow these characters to mature. We talked a little bit about that with no time to die, where I think, you know, in the plethora of bond movies that have been released, you know, you have 25 films and, within daniel craig's tenure you know you've had five films over 15 years and it's the first time in that series where you've seen a character that has basically been rebooted every time a new movie comes out or never allowed to change in any real way grow but it took time and it took a number of films and it took a precedent with where you know this those movies have been going on for Ever And they've been recycled and, you know, rebooted and brought in new actors to play the title role where 
you know, with something like Ghostbusters, you've had the three core characters and, and even, you know, Winston as well. And, and in the first two films and, you know, those movies are basically one and two are just the same film over and over again. So, you know, there's an understanding that these guys, and part of the joke is that they don't grow up, you know, they're just giant children for the most part. Um, So, you know, you're, your leeway when it comes to, okay, well, can a character mature over time or change over time? Sure. But these characters, I don't think have been afforded the opportunity previously. And even if you are including the cartoon series, the cartoon series also makes it very evident that these characters, you know, are, you know, bachelors and they're very you know fastidious in their ways and you know they're they're not going to really progress in any way and i think it is kind of interesting to see in that opening sequence in in the second film where you know you have ray who's open in a cult shop but is also working kids parties with winston and then you have you know uh egon basically going into the science sector and you know having uh couples fight as he raises the temperature and taking dogs away from little girls and things like that and experiments and then bill murray becoming a talk show host and a game show host and that kind of style which is kind of perfect and then like that's kind of like the quote-unquote development of these characters and i think it's perfect for what they are um but when you kind of move further and further away from the original one which the original movie was made to be a popcorn blockbuster movie with no real intention of being a franchise or spawning a cartoon series it was just there to be pure entertainment but as you know uh a series quote-unquote grows you you get to that point where it's like, okay, well, what is, what should be considered a legacy series or franchise? And like, what, what amount of depth and understanding to this should you have? You mentioned Star Wars, which I think will be a a comparison specifically with the sort of later movies. Force Awakens. Force Awakens. And, and I like watching this to me, this didn't feel like I really like the Force Awakens quite a bit. Like, I think it is the best version of a greatest hits movie you can get. Um, It's fun. It's exciting. You can tell that JJ Abrams at that point has a lot of passion for what he's doing. He's excited uh, to make the movie as you are to watch the film, but watching this movie I felt this was closer to the rise of Skywalker where like JJ making that film felt like an obligation. And it kind of felt like I'm coming back because, you know, the plans of what this was going to be kind of fell apart. And, you know, like I'm coming back in to kind of do damage control at this point. And I'm just making this movie because, you know, I, I'm going through the motions and I'm a, a, a company man and a producer. I felt this way watching ghostbusters afterlife and and i the other thing that i agree with you on i think jason reitman gets a bad rap because of the nepotism sure you know there there are really wonderful filmmakers and wonderful actors that are the sons and daughters and non-binaries of you know people that we either respect or have liked other work before it still makes sense because they're learning from you know great people yeah like I I, i like you know I love Sofia Coppola. Uh, John David Washington is doing really good work. Um, there, there are there are tons. Uh, like I understand there there are some people that like are basically coasting, you know, off of their 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 parents or their grandparents. Don't reference Scott Eastwood. <laughs> no, yeah, there's there's the perfect example. Um, 
but Jason Reitman, to your point, has made some really good movies. I mean, I think Thank You for Smoking is a really solid debut. I think I love I think Juno is is not great, but it's solid for what it is. It's been a while since I've watched that. I think, you know, you're wearing the Pan Am shirt uh, up in the air uh, is his masterpiece. I think um, for a lot of people that don't even like Jason Reitman um, in the same way that like people that don't like Quentin Tarantino's work, if they choose a film of his that they do like, you know, for for Quentin Tarantino, it's Jackie Brown for Jason Reitman. It's it's young adult. Um, so I'm not against Jason Reitman, but you look at Jason Reitman in the last 10 years or so, you know, he's had a number of misfires with Labor Day, with um, even with young adult, like young adult, we both liked, and it's, it's a critical film, even Tully, you know, which is the third in the Diablo Cody, I liked Jason, Tully. <laughs> Tully's not bad, but men, women, and children, Labor Day, the front runner, um, you know, like even Tully, which we don't mind it didn't do well. So it almost feels like him doing Ghostbusters afterlife is this fail safe kind of movie where it's like him doing something that will be able to get him to the next movie that he wants to make. And watching this film, like I felt like the stuff that he was kind of more interested in was the Finn Wolfhard stuff. But at the same time, it's almost secondary to everything else and intentionally so but it almost feels like the finn wolfhard character could basically be like timothy chalamet and interstellar like it just doesn't really even matter even though they have like him falling in love with a girl that works at the local diner and stuff like that but that almost feels like secondary yeah this stuff that like jason reitman would like to explore in his other movies um specifically even like with something like men women and children um and then there's the point of view where you're bringing in you know, either sort of references, Easter eggs, and and someone like, you know, Annie Potts, who's in the trailer, uh, who plays Janine Melnitz. And that relationship with... The legacy character. Yeah, yeah. Her character is... And we'll talk about this more in spoiler, but like how she's integrated and what she does and what she says, I feel like there is some sort of misguided attempt at sort of connecting those moments to the original one that doesn't really work and it just there there are moments even in that scene that you watch in the trailer and then you watch it in the movie it almost feels like that was an improv scene where it's like okay we'll take this moment because the way that it transitions into the next scene it it kind of almost feels like you're watching a judd apatow movie at that moment um i like carrie coon i think mckenna grace is doing the best work she can with the character, especially even when she's delivering the, you know, the, the science dad jokes, which I think are kind of funny in a lame kind of way, but work because they're very earnest and sincere. I like Paul Rudd as well, but I disagree with the use of him in this movie. I think that the movie doesn't know how to use him in the film. And I think it's almost trying to kind of put him in a category of one of the other cat- uh, characters, but it can't decide which one to kind of put him in that category of. It's almost like, okay. Totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Is he going to be this character in the film or are we going to maybe make him more like this character? And you're watching this the whole time thinking like okay how much of this is going to be you know references and easter eggs to the original and how much of this is going to be sort of 
building on the mythology and the franchise that's already there. And and yes, the Stranger Things thing is another sort of apt comparison, not only with Finn, Finn Wolfhard, but you look at Stranger Things and it's very watchable and very enjoyable, but it's never it never really feels like its own thing. Like it just kind of is taking sure. from other more so than this, but like it just it, it never really feels like it's completely you know, it has its own identity and Ghostbusters afterlife kind of feels a little bit like that as well, where you're watching it and you're thinking to yourself like, okay, yeah, I, I, I appreciate, you know, them using, you know, certain aspects of the score or even them not basically following the structure of the first two movies, but that almost feels like there's a little bit of smugness there where like, it's like, haha, you know, and like, we're going to do something different with this movie because now this movie is considered reverent. And now we're going to, you know, put it on this pedestal. And it's like, dude, you're making a ghostbusters movie. Like just have fun with it. And I like when movies do things differently because I feel mm -hmm. like something like the last Jedi is the best example of what fandom can be i think what ryan johnson did was both paying tribute to the movie but doing also doing something, something different where i don't feel let Jason, the past die yeah i i think nostalgia is something that you just need to kill and this movie in particular i think is a perfect example of that because when you're watching it you're think again you're thinking to yourself jason reitman isn't doing anything all that interesting with the storyline that is you know, adding to what's already been there Other than it's just being the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you're watching it and you're like, okay, there's nothing wrong with repeating yourself and there's nothing wrong with wanting to do something different, but it can't make up its mind and what it wants to do. It's almost this movie that is just battling it itself in a weird way where it's like, no, we got to be, more like a Ghostbusters movie because that's what this particular crowd is expecting. And then Jason Reitman's like, well, I don't necessarily want to make the same movie that my dad did twice already. And I kind of want to do something that will be my own trademark. And it's like this weird internal battle and struggle. And then you get to the point where in the third act, it really is kind of going back to its roots. Um, but to the point where like it's, almost too much for what it's trying to do and it almost becomes a little too goofy and not that the ghostbuster movies aren't goofy because they certainly are but it just kind of feels like it's just the the most shallow representation of fandom so again i'm not against doing something completely different with the ghostbusters movie but i'm also mm -hmm. not against doing something that's familiar. I just wish that the movie would make up its mind and what it was See, doing because it feels tonally a, a, a jarring at times where it's like the, the farmhouse stuff and sort of reconnecting with somebody that maybe you were estranged with and sort of discovering who they were and who you are and, and sort of like the stuff that Carrie Coon is doing in this movie um, feels like it could be in a great drama and it almost kind of feels weirdly like it's wasting her in, in a Jason some... Reitman movie or something. Yeah. But but again, like I don't but even like, like, I like I like, I like I've just mentioned, I like Jason Reitman movies and I think that Carrie Coon in a Jason I mean, Reitman is... movie would be good. But then that's what I mean. Like you almost think that that's, 
should be in something like that. Yeah, like, and I feel like that it, stuff is what he's most interested in. Sure. And then the Ghostbusters stuff is like, okay, I gotta have a Slimer adjacent character named Muncher in this See, thing. And you're or just if like, I, if I can interject just yeah, a sure. little bit, like I, I totally understand where you're coming from, but to me, I, I don't know. I just saw it from a different perspective. Where this being this reintroduction to this franchise, I'm all I was okay with a lot of what you're saying is because this being the first one. And if they want to continue it into a franchise, I think just like last Jedi, this is to me, the force awakens where I, I agree with you with everything you said about JJ. And, and I, I do like force awakens more than I like this movie. Um, but I do really think that both of those movies are similar where the force awakens is just a new hope. This is just ghostbusters. And I feel like it's doing the same thing JJ did there where there is a love to it. And there is a little bit of Jason Reitman, a little bit of Ivan Reitman. And I feel like that works as the first movie of introducing like this franchise back to people where it is doing stuff that's a little bit different and it is doing a lot that is exactly the same. And I don't know, like that just kind of worked for me. And I saw the love there of, oh, this is an iconic movie my dad directed. And I do want to do that justice. And so I don't know. I just saw it from a different perspective of going, I was almost okay with that. And I do really see that as the Force Awakens thing of going, this has been gone for a while. A lot of people might, you know, especially kids, like I mentioned, might not really even have seen the first one, much like a lot of kids probably didn't see the original Star Wars before seeing Force Awakens. Or the prequels. Unfortunately, yeah, anything like that. Like, And then they go back and watch the original. And that's what excites me about this is that like, uh, I do think that there will be a, a whole bunch of people who haven't seen the first Ghostbusters. So a lot of that retread and that fighting between the two things of a Jason Reitman movie and a lot of just basic Ghostbusters stuff, I think kind of works as a you know movie that takes place in 2021 that is for a different generation that is and i think there's enough there with the stuff that i said with the new setting and focusing on kids that that stuff does butt heads a little bit but i feel like ultimately works as movie number one where what you're saying i don't disagree with at all but i'm almost okay if now someone else would step in that's not Jason Reitman. Because, yeah, maybe this was what you're saying of like, okay, uh, I've had a couple fumbles here. Um, you know, everyone's always asked me, would you do another Ghostbusters movie to follow in the footsteps of your dad? Maybe and he's I'll always said, he's always said no. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Like, and he's then, always kind of been, now's the right like, time I want to do my own thing. Sure. And and maybe that's what's battling in this movie, like what you're saying. And, and I disagree, but I can understand why you see that. Yeah, and like it's almost him, him being like, okay, I'm going to make this movie because Sony has now offered me to do this other thing. Or like, sure, if I make this you, movie, one for me, and like, it does I can make go sense do something the, else. And in the context of what this movie is about, and we don't want to go into too much detail, I personally think it makes sense and it worked. Um, I would love The Last Jedi take on Ghostbusters in the next movie or something like that. And I'm not saying that that couldn't have been this movie. And maybe Where I feel this is The Rise of, of Skywalker. I feel we're already at The Rise of Skywalker with Afterlife because, again, I feel like Jason Reitman isn't completely passionate about the movie that he is making. See, and I feel I, like I part I'd, of it is just yeah. – it, it, again, is, is tonally – a j jarring at times in terms of you know the the kinds of movies that are being or the, the the genres of films that are being kind of mashed together within this but also it just feels like 
you're going through the motions and then anytime that you're adding something to it, it kind of feels a little bit off with who the characters are, um, who, you know, like what we've come accustomed to within the universe. And again, like, I don't think Ghostbusters is worthy of having the same world building as Star Wars because Star Wars has been able to kind of cement itself for over the decades where Ghostbusters was this thing in the 1980s and it had its moment, but it's not necessarily a franchise like Star Wars or even like James but Bond. Then, like, But James I, Bond's see, the other where... thing where, like, again, like it, it was only until the last 15 years where the Bond movies you know, brought in someone like Daniel Craig and make, well, not only relevant, but we're, we're able to do something with the character that felt earned because it took time to do that over a number of films. You had two films, one of which came out in 84, the other one, which came out in what? 88, 89, Um, 89. Yeah. 89. And both of the films are the same movie. It's just basically a remake and none of the, the, there's no development with, within those two films, which is fine. I don't mind that. But, but then when you have this, basically a direct sequel to the first film because there's not a lot of references to the second film the second one's still canon but they don't really reference it no no there's no scolari brothers in this one spoiler (laughs) alert um but but with those two movies this this third one is almost treating the first one like you know these characters have been around forever and that they've had you know 40 plus years of development but this is but this is my opinion and i would like to share this part of it because i feel that like not only as a fan but as a critic I'm looking at this from the point of view of what this this is telling me is that like what this is bringing into it more than the film itself is the people involved. And I think if you're looking at it from the point of view of the people that are that are involved and the, bringing in their and, and again I know I'm being cryptic with this but when you're when you're bringing in certain aspects of these people's lives, not the characters but the actors then I think it is more fulfilling because you know more about what happened in the lives of certain people and what this movie means to certain people. And I think that gives it some credibility, but that's not the movie itself. I think you have to separate the character from the actor's own personal life. I think of what what those characters went through in that first movie. uh, To me that, that, that completely works. And I will disagree with you a little bit about, uh, you know, saying that, you know, the Ghostbusters or Ghostbusters, the franchise, I feel like it has lived up throughout time. Like everyone knows the Ghostbusters and everyone knows the theme and everyone holds it, I think in a pretty high regard. And I just think the movie did a really good job of, taking kind of what our, our real life you know perspective on ghostbusters that first movie and how this universe perceives them as well and i just thought i think it is in that category of those big movies and franchises yes it didn't have six movies or it didn't necessarily live other than the cartoon after that second movie but i feel like how it's utilized in this really mimics kind of our real world perspective on the ghostbusters and i just thought that like i think it does deserve that treatment because i do think it's iconic on that same level as some of those things maybe yeah sure the characters and we'll talk more about that in i don't the, think it does i just um, want to say i don't think it doesn't deserve to have that treatment necessarily i just don't think it's earned it i just don't think it it's had enough time to really 
fully develop in the way that it thinks it already has. It feels rushed in the sense that like, okay, you know, we're going from these two films that are now, you know, 89, 30 plus years. And the first one's almost 40. And like, you think to yourself, like, so would you have, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. Like if, if, if it, if this, if after, like say if afterlife was, the third or fourth film that's within a new ask. franchise. Yeah, that's what I was going to The ask, way yeah. that the Bond movies had been, then I would say yes. I get because what you're saying now. Built, yeah. it's built momentum, and it's it's given you the time to not only reacclimatize the characters, but it's also kind of been able to develop in them in a way. Like if you're jumping from like hot to cold or cold to hot I so quickly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it just, it's so jarring and it's totally jarring. It just, it feels like these characters you need, you need to do more than just go from, I get what you mean by the rise of Skywalker thing. I totally, I was gone yes. over my head. I get what you're saying. I don't agree, but I but get now what you're you saying. understand what I'm articulating yes. here where yes, like, yes, I feel yes, yes. that this is a, a series that, if you're going it's to jumping do this, to movie three instead of yes a reintroduction. So yeah, I, I if you're gonna do a reboot and, and have these characters, like even look at like with with horror movies, like you look with like with with Halloween, like do a I don't, slow build to this. Actually, I like what you're saying. Sorry if I jump in because I I I disagree, but also like what you're saying. Because right. I because I because you like, look at Halloween as well, right? Yeah. David Gordon Green's Halloween. Laurie Strode's not a great character. I mean, she's a final mm-hmm. girl and and she's written in a way that's very one note. But the thing that what brings some personality to it is that Jamie Lee Curtis, and again, talking about nepotism, you know, being the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet sure. Lee, mm-hmm. um, was a good actor. And even though, she, you know, we look at what Laurie Strode becomes in Halloween and Halloween Kills, which is kind of basically like an Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor riff, um, it's not necessarily the character that we like. It's it, no one. She's she's still one note, even though she has become kind of like a doomsday prepper, you know, waiting for. And there's a lot of filling think. in the gaps you have to do in your own head of how exactly. She got there. Yeah. And that's another movie where, like, I, even though I actually, you know, I'm saying this, and I, I you really I like that movie where you I don't sound like hypocritical, yeah, but yeah. but that film is is kind but of the characterization in a way that doesn't, of that legacy doesn't tr- character. You don't no, like, no, yeah. no, and it doesn't and it doesn't treat the film like. Like Halloween doesn't treat itself like it's like this great self-important film where I do kind of feel that Reitman is kind of putting this on a pedestal a little bit where like I think it's, his dad directed it and that's why I kind of, I kind of like that but I get I I, I know I know but like even even Ivan Reitman who is not a like a bad guy or anything but Ivan Reitman's just like your classic journeyman director he's not <laughs> like oh that's really nice uh, is is that Tortellini. Uh, yeah, it's some, uh, yeah, tortellini, ravioli. Yeah, I'm going to eat this right after we finish. What? Agnolotti. A ghost brought it to me. No, nice. no, my wonderful fiance, Nevis. Um, I'm going to eat that right when but, we're done. But yeah, Jason Reitman's a guy that's like, I don't think he, like even George Lucas, you know, like George Lucas actually had more influence in terms sure. of like what he was bringing into Star Wars. We talked about this before with, you know, uh his interest in Akira Kurosawa and 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 movies like that where Ivan Reitman to me you know, he's done some good stuff, but he's also more of a jobber than anything else. Like Ivan Reitman never even you know, had any sort of major contribution to the script to earn a a, a screenplay credit. It's all Harold Ramis and and Dan Aykroyd, right? Where like you're you know, like the guys that 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 
should get that credit are the writers, but they don't like the people that, that first and foremost, when you think about Ghostbusters, you think of Bill, Bill Murray, you think, I mean, you don't think of Ivan Reitman, obviously. Because no, that's like, true. Yeah. You, but you think of Bill Murray, you think of the special effects and things like that. And like, I was thinking about this as well. And this is maybe, you know, something we can even talk about in, in the conversation section. It's not spoiler related, but it's the idea of like, is there's is, is it something that you hold too preciously or are, are you being too hard on it because you hold it too preciously and like even thinking like this year like i feel like am i becoming <laughs> this old man for not liking eternals and dune and this and like things that i like you know the, the debate of like you know our superhero movies oversaturated and things like that are stuff we've talked about before and like that's a whole other conversation but like looking no, at man, dune I'm... and looking at ghostbusters i'm kind of thinking to myself like those are things I love, but I'm also looking at it now from the point of view of a film critic who is sort of very self-aware of structure and storytelling and how things are kind of brought to you in a way that like there, there's so much going on in the mechanics that you can never you can never watch a movie the way you did as a kid. Yeah, but I, I think that's natural and I totally understand yeah. what you're saying and I I, th- I thought of the same thing and I like I, I didn't go in going – I'm going to love this because I'm on a streak of of being kind of negative towards movies. No, we're just honest each time uh, we see a movie. Does some of that come into play of your nostalgia or what you liked as a kid or or your interests? I always argue it's subjective. All of that stuff's going to be come into play. Even if you want to go, no, I am film critic. I will use my knowledge I learned in school. The shield, tell you, the shield of criticism. I will tell you the technical reason of of the academic reason of why this is a good or bad movie. I'm like, no, fuck that. It's all of that stuff is going to come into play of why, you know, I like Which Marvel I think there's a perfect balance here. There is a balance. You still can bring a lot of that in there. And, you know, yeah. we've seen a ton of movies. We both went to film school. We like all of that stuff I think comes into play, but also your personal likes and interests and how you feel about certain franchises and characters. That's all going to come into play. And to me, that is just as valid as telling someone a uh, academic or technical reason of why this is a good or bad movie. Right. Like I criticism for me and the people I always followed or I always enjoyed or why I wanted to become a film critic isn't necessarily how much they knew about film or how smart they were is because I liked them as a personality and I liked their interests or I found myself, um, you know, Oh, that person has similar feelings that I do about a lot of movies. So I'm going to go to them to see if they liked it. Maybe I'll like it as well. And you're not always going to agree with that person. But I like being challenged also by opinions that I don't agree with, because I feel that if you you continue to follow people that you Uh, usually agree with, it becomes an echo chamber, right? Where like, I think some of the best criticism and the most valid criticism is challenging your opinion to somebody who has a different uh, opinion. And I think that that Mm. makes the world a better place in terms of- I agree. And that's why I like these reviews where we disagree. It doesn't happen very often. And sometimes I go, oh man, like- Eric and I, I mean, we spend enough time with one another and we, we are best friends. So we do happen to fall, you know, for the most part, we do, again, going back to personal interests, we have personal interests of things we like more or less than the other person. But a lot of the times we tend to agree, not all the time, there's slight differences and there's reasons why we like a certain thing more or less than the other person. But I also find your open-minded to both art house and 
blockbuster cinema yeah. where there's a lot of people and vice online versa, where it's like, you know, no, I know, but, but there's like a lot of people online where it's like one or the other. And that's you know? why I like, we've talked about it, not to blow smoke up our own ass or whatever we're doing right now, a ghost up our own ass. Um, but <laughs> that like, was the, that's the sequel title, Ghost Up I My Own Ass. I think, and that's why this review, which we will wrap up and we will tell people to go listen to our spoiler conversation if you want even probably another hour or, or more on Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, I think that's what's interesting because I think we both fall in that category of liking art house and Hollywood populist movies, but one of us leans a little on one side and one leans a little on the other side, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's what's great because we can always kind of meet in the middle and bring a different perspective on and even though we agree, it's still coming from a different spot or we might have similar opinions on something, but a slightly different perspective or in something like this, which I think has been a great civil conversation, actually, about, you know, two very different opinions on the movie. But it showcases I feel like too many times um, you look at our Dune review or just look at, you know, discourse on Twitter and things like that. It becomes too much like you don't agree with me. So we need to fight about it. <laughs> we need to like argue about it or I need it's, to be It's so antagonistic it, online where, and on social media that it's like, if you don't agree with what I think or, or, or fall into that category of, of thinking, then you're automatically not only wrong, um, but I don't but like you or I'm mad at exactly, you. Exactly. Like, and, and I hate you for not even knowing Or we you. can't have anything in common because we disagree on this thing. Yeah. I'm like, no, I disagree with my fiance or my best friends on things. And it doesn't mean that we... You know, fucking, you can't love a person or or be their friend or, or appreciate like that their or perspective. Appreciate, exactly. So that's uh, we're getting into a whole different conversation. But the world would here, be a boring like, place if everybody agreed on the same thing. Like that's no, like that's so. I think what it comes down to. And and I also just think like it's interesting as well that like you know I was somebody that really loved Ghostbusters growing up and had an affinity yeah. for it. And you were someone who was more of a casual watcher of it. And yeah. you really liked this version where I didn't. And like it, that's interesting as well. Where like even with Dune, where it's like. I loved Dune so much. I as never a, saw Dune. Or, yeah, or and, and we, Dune. but we, but we both loved a lot of most of Denny Villeneuve's stuff, and like and then we both didn't like Dune. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's it's funny. It's that's what I mean. Like I'll argue to the end of the earth that it's all subjective. And oh, totally. You, and um, there is no right or wrong. It it is. There's fun. only right men. And <laughs> uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap there. I'm gonna give the movie a four out of five. Really liked it. Um, I it's not perfect. I do have. I do agree or understand where you're coming from on a lot of things, um, Eric. Uh, the things I didn't like. We didn't talk about podcast, which we're doing a podcast, oh, which God. is funny. On our spoiler review, we will talk about podcast. Ah! Um, <laughs> because I think that's funny. We did a whole hour and 10 minute podcast and didn't reference podcast. I said podcast a lot right now. Uh, I agree with you. Did not love that uh, character. He is a bit annoying. Um, it's thought- not even necessarily that the character is precocious or annoying. Like... I- he's a kid i get it but it's naming him podcast and obviously it's, it's not really, his real yeah, name but it's, it's just lot. like yeah and there's a joke with him saying like oh you know like the 43 episode is where you know it really comes into its own and I, like, I giggled i giggled get I giggled. out of my life i did for guys who have done 300 episodes almost of this podcast i think we find our voice in episode uh 200 and uh, it's the old guard episode, I think. Oh, I thought you were going to say, you know, we're, we'll get there at around 230 with the with the regular episodes. Yeah. And um, 
I, I we didn't talk much about it, but the Stay Puff Marshmallow Men, which are uh, well, you did mention the, it. It's it's it sucks. It's probably it one of the sucks. worst it's things the in worst terms of the thing visual the effects. And like, even though I like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man in the first movie and what yeah, he represents yeah, yeah. in terms of Ray's innocence. Yeah, but I think it's awful in this. I yes. think it's the worst part of that nostalgia uh, garbage. Um, like, I mean, there's a lot of that nostalgia baiting in here, but like, I think that is the most egregious one that just has no reason to even be in the movie and is like, that's the most kitty element of the movie, even though this movie is for kids uh, or younger people, but um, and obviously the people who grew up with it, but the Stay Puft Marshmallow Men in this are awful. Um and then finally, yeah, it retreads a lot of stuff. So it's not a perfect movie. I still enjoyed the shit out of it. Uh, I give it a four out of five. I'm going to give it a two out of five. I was uh, quite disappointed with the film, and um, I'm just a self-loathing film critic. <laughs> no, nah, you're not, dude. I, I, I've i reviewed enough movies that uh, with you that I know that is not true. But uh, shout out to Tracy Letts as well. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it's always – it's. I, I mean, obviously, Carrie Coon and Tracy Letts are married, yeah. but yeah, Which it's, is, it's I'm funny. Assuming why but again, but but even movie, thinking but... like that, like this isn't a spoiler. But there's a scene in the trailer that's not in the movie with Tracy Letts where he, you know, he plays a, a, a like a Home Depot uh, hardware kind of store kind of guy gas where like clerk, yeah. there's a scene where like his his shop is basically sh- it look, almost looks it's like an earthquake, and that's not even in the film, which I thought was kind of interesting. I thought it was no. Because I was waiting for that shot, we'll talk and it never happens. Spoiler, because I'm pretty sure he's there is a quick shot, but anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, anyways, thank you all for uh, watching or listening. Um, uh, we really, really do appreciate it. Uh, if you liked this hour, uh, an 11, 12 minute, uh, review, you might like a spoiler version of it where we, uh, do, we won't retread a lot of the stuff we talk about here, but we will go into a little bit more detail with some of the more We'll be less cryptic, obviously. A little bit more of the spoilery elements of the movie. So go check that out on our conversations channel or on YouTube. Um, we also have reviews up right now, uh, for Red Notice. Uh, and Home Sweet Home Alone. You guys can check those out. A conversation on Disney Plus Day, as well as Untitled Movie Podcast 106, where we talk about our trip to Los Angeles. A lot of stuff. Uh, We took some time off because of my move and this trip and stuff like that, but we're back with a whole bunch of stuff. So please go check that out. Uh, Easiest place to find everything is over on um, Letterboxd, Untitled underscore cast. So just go over there. Uh, and as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Margin. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. When the light is green, the trap is clean. I'm going to eat this pasta now. Bye, everybody.